goodbye, Willie Nelson. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we can still think our own thoughts. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Leave No Trace. I left no trace. You left no trace. No, the, the disc is clean. No, it's not. It's got a few rocks, got this, a few glasses. Like, it's, your disc is kind of a mess, actually. I gotta say. This is pretty cluttered. I gotta say, you've left quite a few traces. Well, when you work literally out of the same room in your apartment uh, for a long-ass time, things start to get cluttered. I appreciate that you've put on pants for me. I, uh, they're I do shorts. A, they're yeah. shorts. Well, you know. Yeah. They leave enough to the imagination, uh, of course, is what I like about them. How are you, Sheer? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Mm. Lovely. I'm having a nice beer talking to my friend about movies. Yes, and we were going to be talking about a different film this mm-hmm. week, but unfortunately I had a little bit of a uh, a rough theater going experience this week, which is why we were we were hoping, n- not that we didn't want to do Leave No Trace. Right. Leave No Trace was definitely on our list of movies, so it's not a, p- please don't think that this is a second pick on our, tra- uh, on our part in any way. It was way. a later pick. But it, was, but it is a second pick because <laughs> 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 we, were, we were scheduled to do Sorry to Bother You this week, and I I went over to the AMC Lincoln uh, Lincoln Square, where uh, The Rock was standing outside. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was standing outside because they were having the premiere for Skyscraper at the oh. exact same time. Well, that's nice. So I got to see like the back of The Rock mm-hmm. uh, for, for just like a, a second. Uh, I bought my ticket using my movie pass. Uh, got into the theater. It was pretty full, and uh, and then you know we had that. The I don't know if you've ever had that kerfuffle where suddenly someone turns up and they say, "Hey, that's my seat," and I was like, "Oh well, that's actually my seat over there." I just decided not to make a deal of it. Uh, I never sit in not my own seat. Really? Yeah. How, how about in this situation? So I, I didn't sit in my seat because there were five seats empty, mm-hmm. and my seat was in the middle of like two other people. Uh, no, no, I would still, absolutely, I'd not, I would always sit in my really? own seat. Really? Yeah, 100%, because otherwise, uh, now your situation is different because of the, what happened next. Yeah, but um, <laughs> as it turns out, you might have been right to do so. Right, uh, but the, but always, always, yeah. I am a huge proprietor. S- assigned seating is one of the only luxuries at a theater that actually means anything to me. You're, you're one point. of these people, if, if you don't sit in your assigned seat, democracy dies. Well, no, but like, there's a reason it's there and you paid for it. Well, Let's put it this way. Everyone has every right to sit in whatever seat they want to at the theater, but if someone comes up to you and shows you their ticket stub, absolutely, I'm 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 totally uh, 100% behind that. I'm just saying that if I get to the theater and the seat that I've been allocated happens to be well, you chose it in an uncomfortable place, right? But you no, chose I, it. no. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> this is the problem we're going to get into. If it happens to be in like a place where, it's like, like for example, uh, eventually when I went to leave No Trace, I had an assigned seat, but the movie was relatively empty, so I just sat wherever I felt comfortable. Sure, but you did pick your seat for. Leave no trace. Okay. So what? Here's what happens. Your situation is like the two percent time. Yeah. Yeah. Chance. Okay. So here's what happens. So I sit down. You know, there's five empty seats. Uh, the seat that I've been assigned is like in the middle of like people. So I'm like, I'm not gonna bother. I'm just gonna okay. sit where I am. And then eventually someone comes and says, Hey, that's my seat. And I say, Oh, absolutely. I'll move over. I move over to the seat. And they're like, No, that's not your seat. Somebody else is sitting there. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I look at my ticket stub, and it's it says R six. And I'm looking at the row, and, th- and I think this is. They said, No, this is uh, this is S six. And it turns out R is the disabled row. Um, and so I look, and the disabled row only has one, two, three, four, five seats in it. And right. I have and you're six. six. And I have six. And I'm like, wait, what is happening here? And I have to go out to get, you know, talk to an usher. The usher comes back and says, oh, we sold you the empty wheelchair seat. So basically, R6 is the wheelchair space. So there's no physical seat there. You just, you know, you get that space. Your first mistake was talking to a human at a movie theater. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, I tried to avoid that by doing the whole thing. The you machine. Know, the machine and everything. But they, that's what allocated me that seat. The machine gave you the yeah, seat. Yeah, the machine. I didn't have a choice of seat. It just said, you know, here we go. Huh. And so... Oh, I, no, but you picked it, though. You did pick your seat on the screen. No, I didn't. It just went straight through. Oh, I've ne- that's never happened to me at the Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what happened to me. And I, I'm guessing that's because they were sold out and that was the only space available. Weird. So it just gave me that seat. Glitch and and the then this is what happened is that then I looked up and the entire theater is sold out and there's no seats available. So I'm guessing that's why I was allocated that seat. Um, so I couldn't see the movie. And unfortunately, because of my schedule, I couldn't, like the next showing, for some reason, sorry to bother you, was like playing at 7.30 and then at 11.30 and I, or 10.30 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I couldn't stay till 10.30 to wait for the next movie. 
So we did a last minute sort of, you know, hustle. Yeah, switcheroo. You, we fooled you and you didn't even know it was happening. So that is the long-winded story. Nobody cares about that story, but that's how I ended up seeing Leave No Choice, which is a movie that was definitely on our docket that we wanted to see. We just, uh, I mean, sorry to bother you, it was coming out and we, uh, I think we're both excited about that movie, you know, seeing what, uh, because I haven't watched the trailer, I've just read a review of that and I thought it looked and sounded exciting. Gotcha. Um, so, so here we are. Here we are. I'm so shocked. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm so shocked you are not a hardcore, pro- you, Shahir Dowd, are not a hardcore proprietor of assigned seating when a ticket, when a seat is assigned to you. I absolutely am. I get, what I'm saying is, is that if I turn up in the theater. And it's and empty. I, and it's empty and I've got an assigned seat, I'm just going to sit wherever. I'm but, not going to, you know, like. But normally. I, like, like, for example, here's the situation where I, like, I wanted to avoid is that there, my seat was in the middle of three people. I don't want to, and there are five other empty seats here that are equally as comfortable that don't look like they've been occupied. Uh, I'm not going to like bother those people to get up and get out of my way to take that one middle seat when I could just sit down here. But you're, but in mm. in in the theory of it. Mm. You were just mit- not mitigating. What's the word? You're just deferring the bothering until later because it's going to probably bother someone else. Well, I didn't. Th- I didn't think it would, but it. Did. But apparently, in that 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 is the one situation where it has. And and again, if if you have the seat, the seat I'm is absolutely, absolutely going to give it up and jump into the. We seat. all remember my wonderful story from the uh, uh, the Shape of Water, where yeah. there was literally a battle for 20 minutes. Do you over. do that on a plane though? Like if you go on a plane and you've been assigned a seat and like the plane is empty, do you just not jump into? Uh, I, sit in my, com- I sit in my seat, and then uh-huh. if there's no one next to me, I'll spread out once the doors, the cabins close. Yeah, but right. otherwise, there's no point in changing the actual seat. I, I just, you know, like if there's seats free, I, I, I get what is the philosophy of the uh, easiest route chosen, I guess, is the. Sure, it's water. <laughs> um, all right. So speaking of water, there's some rivers in this movie and there's some wilderness and some nature and there's people leaving no trace. You brought up the trailer actually for. Um, sorry to bother you, which you did not see. Which I haven't seen. Uh, I've seen snippets and little images here and there. I have to say I saw the trailer for Leave No Trace, and it got me pumped for it. Pumped. Yes. Pumped. I, and, Describe and, pumped. Tell well, me Tell uh, me what Very excited. Means. It sounded like a story that I really wanted to hear and yeah. learn more about. Um, and and it seemed like characters that I, I could actually get behind. I'm a big fan of Ben Foster, mm-hmm. uh, my boy Medivh, yeah. uh, the newcomer. Um, <laughs> I, I, what's her name? I can't Thomas remember. Mc, uh, McKenzie. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's Thomason. Thomason McKenzie, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the it just seemed like a really cool movie. And for a trailer to get me excited about this story, even behind its kind of nonsense Mumford & Sons wannabe music that I normally <laughs> am turned off by in stories like this, I was like, this movie seems like it's going to be awesome. Okay. So I was very excited um, uh, to to eventually to eventually see it. I I think I, so. I was excited for a couple of reasons. One, it's Deborah Granick, uh, the director of Winter's Bone. It's been uh, what f- since two thousand two, Winter's Bone came out in two thousand ten, I believe. When when was Jennifer Lawrence birthed? In yeah, the and cinema? this is the point. You know, since Gen- and that film obviously, you know. Uh, uh, gave rise to Jennifer Lawrence, the the be- the the, the, behemoth. the behemoth, unstoppable Oscar winner that she is now, two time Oscar winner. And in that time, Deborah Granick has not made a feature film. She's made she's made one documentary in the middle of it, and has tried to get projects off the ground. And, this and no is, one's doing it. And this is the first one that she's managed to get wow. off the ground in that time. In the meantime, Jennifer Lawrence has obviously gone off and won two Oscars, been in two different franchises. I mean, been mystique. She's done it yeah, all. Yeah, and the Hunger Games and everything. So, uh, so I guess I was just kind of excited to see Deborah Granick uh, back in again. Although I gotta admit, I have seen Winter's Bone. I liked Winter's Bone. Uh, I didn't love Winter's Bone. It was fine. It was okay. You know, I was I was kind of like, eh, it was okay. You know, yeah. Um, I'll never go back and watch Winter's Bone again. I just, I just was kind of like, oh, this is the person who spawned, you know, like who she didn't, fir- she wasn't the first person to cast Jennifer Lawrence, um, but, but she was certainly the one, you know, Jennifer Lawrence got an Oscar nomination from that and propelled herself into the A list because of that movie. Well, I think, I think, uh, you know, she's a great caster. She, she knows the story that she's trying to tell, and she gets people that that a hundred percent are probably the best uh, for the job. So, the, and that was another interesting thing is Thomas and McKenzie is in New Zealand. Uh, 
Um, and oh, so you were double on board for this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, hey, hell yeah. And the interesting thing is she is the daughter of a very well-regarded New Zealand actress and now New Zealand acting coach by the name of Miranda Harcourt, who I have peripherally, you know, like Wellington, <laughs> Wellington is a tiny place. I was just going to ask, do you know Do you know them personally? I, I have met them. I'm sure they they know who I am. Maybe. I know. I definitely know who they are. Like people I work with work with them all the time kind of thing. Uh, Miranda Harcourt is the former head of a New Zealand acting school. Toifakari, which is um, the the main drama school in New Zealand. Uh, she was a famous soap actor for a little while earlier in her career, uh, and then sort of uh, switched more into uh, acting coaching. And she does a lot of it. She's done a lot of it for Lord of the Rings, for The Hobbit, um, for uh, Taika, Taika Cohen, uh, Taika Waititi. His name in New Zealand was originally Taika Cohen, but it's Taika Waititi now. <laughs> uh, well, it's sort of, that's slightly backwards, actually. His original name is Taika Waititi. His stage name was Taika Cohen. Then he went back to Taika Waititi when he directed. Anyway. Right. Um, so she is uh, really, everybody in New Zealand knows Miranda Harcourt. So uh, her daughter is playing this role. And this is obviously from the director who propelled Jennifer Lawrence into the spotlight. So everyone's kind of asking this question about Thomas Thomas and Ma- uh, McKenzie. Can lightning strike twice? Can lightning strike twice? And I'm I'm, I'm curious if uh, we can answer that question. Yeah. Or perhaps answer that question, or at least peripherally dance around that question. And I'm also doubly excited because there are a couple of film, um, smaller films like this that we missed earlier this year, The Rider and Lean on Pete, which I haven't caught up with yet, but I've heard so much good stuff about. So I kind of want to make sure that we are, uh, as well as doing you know the biggest summer blockbusters on, on the planet, also the smaller films that uh, you may not have seen. Um, well, speaking of films uh, that we that we miss yeah. sometimes, I mean, th- this is a, a thing. We got a lovely um, a lovely correspondence from someone we called out last week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good to know you're listening. Uh, Nai, all the way from Taiwan, got back to us and and slid a request uh, series under the wire. Uh, after you after you shame you publicly shamed her for I, not but, having done so. But she, but listen, it worked, <laughs> and now we have more work to do. Uh, she requested uh, that we do the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy, aka the Cornetto trilogy. Have you ever heard it called the Blood and? I have. Okay, I, yep. I hadn't heard that. I was like, the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy. What is that? Uh, and I gotta say, now I am pumped. We have. I we'll, we'll get these in. I am so psyched to talk about these. I've been rewatching all of the another uh, great internet film reviewer. Everyone should check out. Uh, and if you if you're here and you haven't been there, that's weird. Uh, Movies with Mikey. Right has done all three of these films. Now, the Cornetto trilogy is obviously Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, um, all by uh, my favorite working director, Edgar Wright. And, uh, yeah, that'd be He's super... wrong, isn't he? Well, uh, you know, depending. But oh. not not in, oh, not in a take. lot of these films. Hot take, hot, hot, hot take. take. Um, but he's still my favorite. Um, so which one? Which one are we gonna do? If we're gonna do one of these, oh, we do all three. Oh, she said do one. Any one of them? Yes, <laughs> I see it now. Well, no, we should do all three because we've seen them all. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's important. I think I think it's important to when talking about um, th- those three films in particular. It's strange because they're not like a true trilogy. It's just uh, it's just they, but they kind of are in tonality. So I'd I just be know we, we by doing that we've exponentially we've uh, exponentially raised the amount of reviews we have to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair though. That's fair. I'm happy to do those. I enjoy those films quite a bit. Yeah, um, we'll figure it out. So we'll we will jump back into that. Thank you, Nye, for that uh, request. We are closing the request bag right now. Request bag closed. Yep, uh, sealed, zip tight, zip. Um, But you can still email us with any questions, thoughts, comments, feelings, emotions, hugs, PayPal links, whatever you got. What? Um, At onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. We will be reinstating the request list uh, once we've cleared out this old bag, which we are going to do with some furor and zest uh, over the next coming weeks. We're going to try and clear out, including... I think doubling up some of these. Reviews. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We talked we're, about. We're that. gonna theme these up. We're gonna make. Uh, we're gonna put these into like little packages that you can digest. <laughs> the first one being the Jake Gyllenhaal package. The Jake Gyllenhaal Thriller Hour, <laughs> uh, which I'm really looking forward to. I've I've rewatched both films at this point, so I'm really excited about nice, that. Nice, nice. I've only done one. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about Leave No Trace. Leaving No Trace. IMDb leaves a trace about this film mm-hmm. by saying. A father and his 13-year-old daughter are living in an ideal existence in a vast urban park in Portland, Oregon, when a small mistake derails their lives forever. Forever. Okay, that is wrong. 
That's a wrong. That's wait, a wait, wrong what, description. What, what's wrong about that? Um, well, the uh, first of all, I <laughs> an ideal. Uh, what, what is it? An ideal was existence. It, I, okay, I'm, I'm. I hate to do this, but it, it was it idyllic or uh, ideal? Is that is I it, copy and paste it. I didn't type it. I'm pointing at it right now. I Living think, in I, an ideal I think existence. The word they want to use there is idyllic, but they didn't. So <laughs> nope. Well, ideal could be. You think their situation is ideal? It's a matter of opinion. It's not that. That's it's not. That's, my, it's my opinion. That's that not. That a, not that's ideal. not a factually factually incorrect statement. That could be uh, for them. Actually, and, due to the things that happened in this movie, it is factually true. Well, but but at what point? Like at the point of which when the when it's removed from them. That's when we learn that it was less than ideal, according to other people. But before that point. I mean, they're living an ideal existence. I, I agree. It's not the right. It's not the phrase I would have used. I would sure. have used idyllic, but but you know, I'm not saying I I wouldn't I wouldn't shout that that was wrong. I think it's fairly wrong. You, but is it just that word? Um, in a vast urban park in Portland, Oregon, a small mistake to derails their lives forever. Um, the focus is wrong a, a little bit. The small mistake. We can get into it as we sort of start talking about it. Um, right. Yeah. But, but you it's know. not. It's not like. It's not like. Uh, what what was the movie we did a couple of weeks ago where it was like uh, it was it was actually factually incorrect? This one is less than that, but still factually incorrect. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, the first uh, the the first feat narrative film from Deborah Granick since uh, 2010's Winter's mm-hmm. Bone. This is obviously not her first feature film. She's done another film called Down to the Bone. This is the first non bone orientated film on her list. She could have the Bone trilogy. <laughs> oh my God, she could have. There's such a missed opportunity uh, here. So much work put in to get to the end of the trilogy. Could have been Leave No Bones. Leave No Bones. Yeah, bone No Trace. Bone. No, that's now so the first one. Yeah, I guess the first one's bone probably no trace better. Sounds like a porno. <laughs> Um, Matt, how did you, what, tell me, give me your first impressions of uh, Leave No Trace. So first and foremost, uh, the, again, like I said, the watermark was high, I love Ben Foster, I liked all the stuff I'd been hearing about it. Um, the premise, uh, is, was super interesting. I think, um, survivalists are, while I, it is something that I, um, I don't think I could ever truly do, at least in this day and age, um, are, are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And so any look into that sort of world is obviously very interesting on that part. The acting in this film is phenomenal. Both uh, Thomason and Ben, uh, Foster? kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, they are believable and, and, uh, they, you know, they, they stick well, to what they're doing. Um, well, I, I want to, that, I wanna, sounds, that I, sounds like acting. Well, yeah, but the acting, I have an interesting, I have a weird sort of relationship with the entirety of the film, but I, so I'm, I'm choosing my, my praise carefully and I will choose the things that I choose to nitpick carefully as well. Okay. Um, I think the film looked great and felt very, um, What's the word I'm looking for? This the spaces whenever the film was in either the woods or the enclosed houses or whatever that was shot in a certain way that get, tried to give you the feeling that Ben had either happy or nervous or you know on edge or whatever, um, and it it sort of really put you in uh, his headspace, mm-hmm. and I think that was uh, an important thing and got me sort of sold and on board with aspects of it. There, I think the script. Um, from a, from a conversational, like, uh, you know, last week we talked about how in Ant-Man and the Wasp, any non-humor, uh, dialogue between humans didn't sound correct. It just wasn't like, it was not like humans talking to each other. This Mm. film, you know, leave no trace felt like humans talking to each other, even humans that are in odd situations that would um, sort of limit or change what the conversation would be about. I thought that was very believable. Um, but for some reason, despite all the 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 surface stuff that I can 100% see and how this film is well-crafted and directed and acted and shot, uh, I did not really connect with it uh, on an emotional level at all. Okay. Uh, which I found super weird. Okay. And I, to be honest, I have a couple theories that we'll get into as we go as to why that is, but I don't have, this is one, this is the first review in a long time where I'm hoping the conversation actually teaches me something about myself <laughs> because I, I can't put my finger on why that is. Cause all the pieces I laid out that those are the pieces that get me emotionally involved in a, in a, in cinema, in a story. And, uh, for whatever reason I, I found myself, um, 
not disinterested ever, but not caring about the characters. Okay. And I don't know why. Um, and I, I hope that doesn't make the, me sound like the movie is bad. I think this is more of a thing of how I interacted with it. I think the film is very good. Mm. Um, but it did not grab me in the way that I, I, I hoped it would. And the way that the, the, the tra- like the feeling that the trailer gave me was not the feeling I left the theater with. Okay. Which is strange. Um, because I don't think the trailer's super dichotomous. Like, the trailer's not misleading at all. No. So, yeah. What uh, about you? So, I, I think I want to get into that topic uh, quite quickly, if we can. Um, but but the obviously, for me... Uh, not obviously at all. <laughs> obviously! <laughs> uh, for me, the film... Uh, uh, I, I will say this. I think I needed this movie at this time in my life. Okay. I think I am uh, constantly feeling... Uh, I'm one of those people that is spending too much time on the internet right now, like looking at the problems of the world. Uh, and I'm looking at things where I feel like uh, there is a lack of human, imp- basic human empathy mm-hmm. in, in, in actions around me where I'm kind of, uh, there are certain things where I'm, uh, the question I ask myself are, who are these people's parents? Uh, a lot of time, in a lot of situations. Obviously, I'm talking about politics right now, and and you know. Uh, well, they're all like 80, so they're dead. But, <laughs> but in that sense of like, say you did something really awful and egregious, and your parents knew about it, I'm pretty sure your parents, my parents, certainly mm-hmm. would be like, hey cut that shit out or or you know like they just wouldn't stand for it kind of thing yeah but like, not not everyone has that kind of parenting environment and growing I, up and i and i feel that i guess that's just the question i've been asking myself a lot about about things that are happening in the world today where i'm like where are your parents you know like, or like people who should ex- know better or they're exactly the same and they're actually they'd say good job son or daughter like and that's probably more that's probably more accurate so and the to that extent, there was there was an interesting article that I read uh, from Dave Eggers. Uh, Dave Eggers is an author. He wrote uh, um, uh, a wonderful book that I've read called uh, "A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius." Uh, I think he was on the Pulitzer Prize list for that. Ooh. And he wrote a film last that got made into a film last year called "The Circle" with uh, Tom Hanks, oh. uh, which I heard is awful. It, yeah, yeah uh, but he is a he is a wonderful. <laughs> it's not writer. his fault. Uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, and he wrote this article that I thought was really interesting about. Uh, the fact that this is the first White House in 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 recent memory that has almost no focus on the arts, um, and and he he made a the article kind of basically talks about how you know the in the Obama administration in the Clinton administration going all the way back to the Reagans the Carters um, and Bush. the Bushes yeah. uh, were all passionate about the arts they would invite people over to perform they would um george w bush would have a reading contest with um with carl rove every year to see how many books they could read each um you know like they were champions of the arts the uh, the obamas were particularly um they championed uh poetry a lot um and uh, i think here's one thing that i kind of wanted to pull up and it, it's this is going to lead into the film sure um but Here's what Eggers writes. But uh, admittedly at a time when Mr. Trump's policies have forcibly separated children from their asylum-seeking parents, taking the most vulnerable children from the most vulnerable adults, the, the White House's attitudes towards the art seems relatively unimportant. But with art comes empathy. It allows us to look through someone else's eyes and to know their strivings and struggles. It expands the moral imagination and makes it possible to accept the dehumanization of others. Oh, sorry, and makes it impossible to accept the dehumanization of others. Mm-hmm. When we are without art, we are diminished people, myopic, unlearned, and cruel. And that makes sense. Yeah. And there was just there was this thing that I thought was wonderful about this film was that uh, it is not filled with characters whose struggles we necessarily understand but it is done with such a gentle narrative touch that it allows us to empathize with their issues and and i think that's what i found kind of touching about this movie is that i while i as a parent i obviously have qualms about what uh will bill mm-hmm. Fa- uh ben foster's character is doing I also appreciate that he's still a parent, and I see the humanity in him, and I see the humanity of the problem that he's struggling with, and that his daughter, Tom, uh, you know, she, they call him to, uh, her yeah. Tom, uh, is going to have to struggle with. But the film does it with such a gentleness and such a sort of lack of uh, histrionics, such a lack of, of trying to force the issue, that it makes it, it, 
it, it allowed me the space to empathize with what was going on. And I just kind of needed that okay. at this moment. I needed a film to kind of just gently glide me into a world and let me feel out what the, what's going on with these characters. And I think that was the most important thing for me when watching this film is that I, I, I felt that the film gave me the breathing room while still rich and full of metaphor and, and sort of beauty in every corner and, mm-hmm. and you know, the sense that there was a guiding hand behind this. It still gave me, it, it was a very gentle nudge into this world. And I feel the, the, the reason this, wor- this film worked for me, particularly, um, there's, one, you know, there's one central conflict to this film that comes to a head at the end of the movie. And it comes to a head with such a sort of, ease and naturalness and sort of an unafflicted kind of uh sense of drama that it just that that i found it kind of snuck up on me i was like oh i i knew this moment was coming i didn't realize it was going to happen at this particular moment Mm. but i can see why it's happening and i really need to know how this is going to play out so for me the the thing that really made this uh, uh, a powerful experience and an emotional one for me is the sense of empathy for characters. And I, and I think what's interesting about that is the film does that across the board. So what I, I kind of, I think maybe one of the things that I really responded to was the fact that side characters in this film felt genuine and true and authentic and were just trying to help. And everyone felt sincere. And I just loved that kind of sense that this was a world where people were just trying to figure out the situation. Um, I, so, so that was that was my response to it. I think what you just described actually is where one of my problems lies. Right. Because um, so this world, you're 100 right. It is gentle and it is it is it, it lulls you into the story and and that is a a, a good and comfortable um, storytelling style. <laughs> the thing that I found, um, and maybe it's the it maybe it's in the world building, is that every character in this film every side character is literally there and designed in the story it feels like as a positive thing or a thing to help will and tom mm-hmm. and that's um that sets me up already to sort of have a bit of a chink in the armor of a story in the sense that like literally everything and, and to the point where like in the beginning of the film when like oh they're dealing with the guy who lets them live in their house first of all or then they get to a, a truck driver but like everyone is so fucking moral and good and treats them kindly and gives them charity and does all this stuff like i was like well there's so there's no there's zero external conflict really when it comes to sort of like an actual danger to them at all it's all internal it's yeah. all it's all a struggle of of them sort of adapting but it made the world not feel like something i could latch onto because it's so not only is it so separated from our current world which is also a, a fucking uh, funhouse of horrors mm-hmm. um but like there it wasn't even like a happy medium of what i'd actually think like a reality of a situation would be and And it also, because everyone was so good and altruistic, and side note, let me just say, I'm not trying to belittle the actors' performances in doing this. They all individually felt believable. It's when you put them all together that I kind of was like, it was almost like seeing the, you know, the cracks in the facade of something or like being like, this is too perfect. What's going on? Right. Um, But that actually started making my focus go back more towards will. Right, because at the center of this, even though it is well, here's the deal: we are led to believe through machinations of the story that it, you know, um, we don't know exactly how or why he was in the service. He has post-traumatic stress disorder, or we we don't even know if he's diagnosed with specifically that. He just has issues. He hears helicopters and wakes up in in at bed, and he needs he feels the need for some reason to live in the woods in a survivalist fashion. Mm-hmm. Twofold. One, because everyone else is so perfect and just trying to help them in in the most comforting ways possible, down to the government acting like a kind soul, trying to set them up in a home that they would be comfortable in. Like, you're secluded. You're by yourself. You're going to work on this Christmas tree farm. Like, it was all, like, too saccharine in a way. Like, the government's not doing that. Um the 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 and so then I was like everything's sort of focused on will you know everything's working towards will's favor right 
And so when Will eventually, and we'll still slowly get into spoilers a little bit, when Will starts to reject things and then makes his daughter reject them with him, it doesn't make, but like it's, they're so connected that, you know, she leaves as well. Uh, I just started disliking Will mm-hmm. um, and not fully connecting with his story, which the film I feel like actually for the most part is like trying to tell, even though the daughter is there as well. The, especially when um, he, I don't know. They, 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 I'm trying to think of a specific moment, but it was, I think it's more of a collection of the entire things. It never struck me. And then like, for whatever reason, all of these disparate things didn't really get me involved in um, Tom's story either. Like, I, I kind of knew that, I mean, because we know the trope of, of this sort of thing, that Tom was a teenager and Tom was going to start experiencing things that she hadn't. And yeah. then she'd be interested in them and then she'd leave and then, you know, or however the, however it would happen. Um, and so nothing felt surprising. Not that I needed to, but nothing also felt conflicting. Not that it needs to specifically. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of just sort of like a gentle bath. Yeah. I guess you'd say. And again, that's fine, but it didn't do anything to grab me. And I feel like the movie kind of in a not in a vindictive way, but kind of turned me against one of its main characters, who I think is supposed to come off as um, uh, you're supposed to empathize or feel bad, but I think, oh, this is the other thing, and this is this is sort of the crux of my entire thing, why I started to not associate with Will and kind of dislike Will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they don't give him actually enough of a story beyond PTSD soldier lives in the woods. Right. And so I don't know anything about him other than this platitude. And I, I know he's a good father and he's trying to do the best for his – or what he believes is best for his daughter. But I'd have no connection with him on a personal level other than this is a pers- this is a stereotype of a person that I would feel bad for or empathize with. And there wasn't enough meat on the character – on his character other than that sort of trope for me mm-hmm. that really allowed me to actually anchor in and and start to feel bad for him. Instead, I just sort of was getting upset at the trope that was dragging this teenage girl through stuff that eventually wasn't good for her. Yeah. So it, I don't know. It's so, – I'm sorry. That was long, but I finally got there. Okay. Uh, so here, here's the thing. I'm not going to try and convince you. I want um, you to. Uh, no, no, I like I, no, it. no, because I'm not. Because, uh, because I think uh, the thing about this movie is, is it gives you the freedom and space to interpret it however yeah. you feel, and and how you feel is the way you feel about it. So I'm not going to try and dissuade you. And I don't disagree with anything you said about whether uh, you empathize with Will's decisions or not, or whether you think that they're the right decisions. They're not the right decisions. Yeah. But the for me, the thing is, is is that the film allows me the breathing room to go along with his decisions. And the conflict that you that you don't think is there, I think is is very, very much there. So when he goes to the house and when he's okay, so we're gonna get into spoilers here as well. Yeah, spoilers. We're, yes, we're sure. about we're about 35 and that's yeah, about yeah. yeah. Uh so once we get in um basically once Will is uh Will and Tom are discovered, they're taken into a government institution and the the problem that the uh, government institution has is that they're they're not the only law they're breaking is trespassing on the land. Um, she's not in any danger. Her academics are uh, above where she needs to be at this day. There's no signs of abuse. Uh, and by the way, this is based on a true story. It's based on a book, My Abandonment, by Peter Rock. Mm-hmm. But Peter Rock's story is based on a true story. And everything up until the point at which uh, we leave, uh, up until the point at which they leave the house is is documented as how it happened. Okay. Um, past that is obviously some part of uh, fictionalization. In Oregon, is it not, is it, it's, you're you're legally allowed to be the prime caretaker of a child if you're homeless? Um, I'm guessing so. Huh. I, I, I mean, uh, she was cared for. Uh, you know, like she True. was cared for. She was she was healthy. Uh, but, she was educated. But there's a lot of there's a lot of places I know that like you you need to, to in order to maintain custody you need to have a, a domicile of some kind. I'm, but I don't in, know. I don't in, know this. In exactly. this particular case, yeah. the 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 true the two people were found and they were 
not separated. They were given a house by a, a farmer. They, there was a lot of publicity because they were found this way. They would apparently been living in this in this area for about four years, mm-hmm. um, and you know, up and and then at some point they decided to move on. Yeah, and that's when the story basically loses trails, and and um, Peter Rock's book um, picks up from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, the conflict happens. Uh, immediately, I know there's something not r- well with Will. Sure. Like, I know there's something problematic with Will. We see him wake up immediately. We know he's got this sort of survivalist mentality. Uh, we know that he has paranoid, uh, probably delusional in some way, but not perhaps not dangerously delusional. He seems like a kind-hearted person. I think there's a gentleness to his character yeah. that I really liked. Um, and I see that the conflict is as soon as he arrives inside and he's no longer in control of his own destiny. Like he is in this house and you see him sitting on the bed and he's curled up in a way that like he's completely uncomfortable with this whole situation. And she says to him, you know, like we need to adapt. And he, he, that's when he kind of finally breaks down. He says, I'm work. We're eating their food. We're working on their jobs. We're living in their house. We have adapted, which is something is just a place he doesn't want to be in. And I think the entire crux of the film by the end of it is, is leading us to a point where is that he kind of abandoned that feeling, no matter how much he realizes it's bad for Tom. And by the end of the film, the final conflict, you know, that, that's when you know that this, these two characters are hitting in different directions. Oh, she, yeah. She wants to stay, but he, he can't stay. He just, he, he is not psychologically equipped to live in this house and live a normal life like this. He needs to be out on his own as a master of his own destiny for whatever reason. You know, he's got that survivalist mentality. So, so I think that point about... Uh, n- I I didn't need to necessarily understand every decision he made, but I didn't feel like he was putting her in danger, and I didn't. I except I, it, he does. He does put her in danger. Yes, you're right. Towards the uh, when they when they go out, like the end uh, of the second act, yeah, the beginning of. Yeah. But but I didn't feel like he was doing it from a malicious place, and I was, it was negligent place. I was interested to see how that conflict was going to play out eventually, because it was going to play out, and it does play out, and it resolves. Um, so I was, I am okay with like, I guess I'm okay with characters doing terrible things. If, Maybe. You know what I mean? Like it does, it doesn't, it doesn't take me out of the film. And it's funny, we're, we're talking, I think another thing as you're talking is bringing up that sort of took me out of it. And I think this is more of a, it's not a, uh, a, a strike against the film, but something that takes me out of stories, um, when, when it happens is a lot of stuff in this script. Actually, it's interesting that that there's a book up to a point and then it that it's just sort of or like there's a true story up to a point and then there's a narrative that happens right after. Because after they go they leave and they leave on the bus the to leave. Everything that happens to them is and then they happen to come across the most helpful person in the world. And then something bad happens and then they happen to come across the most helpful person in the world. And then something bad happens. And then they come across someone that's the most helpful person of their specific situation. Like if someone's hurt, there's an army medic. If they need a ride, there's a kindly truck driver. Like it's it's all very um, convenient in a weird way. And that convenience, again, while, while it lulls the story together in a very like smooth way, it also – Take, I, I'm always looking for the conflict in 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 a story that I'm watching, and so when there's no other conflict anywhere and everything is very convenient, I'm going to focus back probably harder than I should on the one spot that I disagree with. That is the or the side of the conflict, the internal struggle that I disagree with, and that makes me lose empathy toward. A character that should be empathetic or that I feel like I should empathize with. I don't think I, I – so for me, I guess the thing is, is I don't need to understand his motivations to empathize with them. I don't either, but the world that sets up around is the, is sort of like the, the magnifying And glass. here's the thing is I would say that the, the, the least – the most convenient and most sort of – feels like a writerly thing is actually the thing that happened, which was that they arrived at, you know, a government service, which then found them a home, you know, with a kindly farmer. That feels like, that feels like the most odd thing to happen, but that's, oddly, that's the, that's the real thing. That's the one I don't feel as weird, as weird. Well, part of it is, but for different reasons. Imagine if they were African American. That, that's my point. Yeah. That was. I have a whole other section about that. Yeah, but I'm saying that government housing thing. It just. I don't know how it would play out, but imagine that whole scenario well, once, if they weren't 
white. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to say it out loud. Once you once you told me that it was a real thing, I was like, that makes actually more sense narratively because it's publicity stunt. That's what it is. There's a, a father and a daughter live in the woods. They discover them, and now the government has them. And of course, some farmer who owns a Christmas tree thing would be like, oh, this will be good for my business if I let these people oh, stay in my I guest think, house. I think that's unfair. I think I think uh, that's an unf- unfair way to characterize what possibly happened, which is that people were like, the. I think the thing that I'm saying is probably realistic is people have more empathy with people that look like them. Oh, you know I'm, I'm I mean? saying that's 100% true too. I, but I'm, to say it's a publicity stunt, I, I, I don't know about I, that. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying the, the, that, that narrative of why, like I, here's the thing. It's, it, is it is it likely that that or let me I'm talking about percentiles right so yeah it's possible that there were just good people that wanted to take some people in it's also possible that they were good people because the people they were taking in were white it's also possible that they did it to, to for some sort of betterment of their own of their own thing and I think the percentiles increase on that scale just based on how I've dealt with but humanity also, but also I don't, I don't necessarily think the film kind of it doesn't invite that. Kind of, you know, like like the film itself doesn't suggest that that farmer, for example, is is there just because he's trying to nope. get publicity. But 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 we were we were talking about how that sort of felt odd, and yeah. in my head, it, while I was watching the movie, I'm like, this feels odd. Why? And, and by that point, you also are not conditioned to to know that everything always works out, and they meet the kindest person in a row. So it's the first sort of odd moment of like extreme kindness, right? That. Uh, that I was like, okay, this feels weird, but now, but I'm saying because it was a real thing, I can think of actual real world situations why that might happen. So the thing that I think I wanted to sort of touch on there was that that felt that was like an oddity to me. Okay, but but I can't, you know, I, I was willing to go along with it, and and I think the co- the the conflict that they have there is that no wrongdoing other than trespassing has happened. So they're they're in a difficult situation, which is unlike our current administration, they're not willing to separate the family. Uh, <laughs> Again, unrealistic. Unrealistic. Um, and and she's in no physical or mental harm. You know, she is well cared for. She is educated. She is you know has her needs near, uh, you know taken care of. I'm not saying it's right to sure. be living out mm-hmm. there, but I'm saying that's the conundrum you have if you're their caseworker, for example. So this solution that presents itself where someone offers them a house seems like the most logical. The point that I wanted to make earlier is that the thing that happens in the second half once they leave is that I like for example, I really liked that trucker character. I really liked that trucker character pulling him to pulling her, her aside and saying, "Hey, are you in any danger here? Mm-hmm. I need to and he's like he he's conflicted about it. He's like, "I need to know that I'm doing the right thing. Yep. I want to help you out, but I need to know that I'm doing the right thing here." And you know, he makes a decision, he goes on a limp for her. Um, the thing that I think happens later on was they they eventually they get stuck out in the woods. They find a cabin. They survive that. He goes out to go grocery shopping. Doesn't turn up. Doesn't come back. Um, so he's injured in some way, and she finds help. It does the the that part doesn't seem unrealistic to me. That that people you know like see a girl saying my dad's in trouble. Uh, would you not help them, or would would, would no, you no, no. not expect people not to help I'm them? I'm saying again, it's the it's the combination of all these super altruistic people being there exactly when they need them in the perfect situation. Not only did the father fall and Will fell and hurt himself, but it was right near a dirt uh, a four wheel path that people just so happened to go down. I mean, you got to understand, like I, I don't, I'm not obviously West Coast, but like. I did a lot of sort of like wilderness, um, either hiking or actually four wheeling or dirt biking on trails like this. And like, there's not convenience wise, there's not a lot of shit around these trails all the time. Right. Like, like it's not, it's not something that's sort of like the woods is big is what I'm saying. Right. And so then not only, not, not is, only is do you plausible that, that she could find someone else in an area it's where it's people plausible, hike? but then it's uh, to add that with the super altruistic truck driver, to add that with the super altruistic farmer, to add that with the super altruistic so, government agency. It's, okay. the, it's the addition of all of them together that start to chip away at my believability of the situation. I can I can totally understand that. I think the thing that I, I found interesting is that um, what really works for me here is Deborah Granick's direction and the way that she casts these people that feel authentic to these areas. 100%. And I, like, it's like that trucker doesn't feel like a side character. He feels like a character that has his own life. Like I feel like I I know that he drives up and down and then he's found the situation and he's trying to deal with it. I and the thing that I think is really 
powerful about when they end up in that trailer park towards the end of the film is that everyone there seems to understand the PTSD. And they have a conversation where uh, the, the woman's played by Dale Dickey, mm -hmm. who's also from Winter's Bone, um, says, we need to get a doctor. And, and Tom says, no, we can't get a doc. You know, he can't go to the hospital. He can't get to the doctor. And, you know, she's not quite on board, but she kind of gets it, which is why she gets the medic, from the, the military Again, medic. Who's that's gonna two perfect people in the situation. I just, I, 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 okay, the, the, I think that's being reasonable to the situation. And like, she doesn't strike me as like, as like someone who's coming out and suddenly being like the perfect situation, I, the perfect solution to this problem. She just has a solution which is empathetic to what they need because two reasons. One is she understands, she herself, as we later learn, has someone who is a survivalist who's mm -hmm. out in the woods who has not come back in many years that she keeps leaving food out for. Yeah. And second, she knows this medic who who recognizes people with PTSD. How and convenient for these characters to find these people that are can exactly take care of the situation they are exactly in in the perfect way. Like do you, that's do you, do you think that people who have been in the military understand other people that have been in the military? Sure, but again, we're talking about very specific. We're talking about very specific things through. And again, it's not just these characters. It's everything we've talked about. Whatever trial or tribulation these characters get into. And I'm sorry, I don't want to try to convince you not to like it because I want to like it. Yeah. Um, but it, it all felt from a, from a, from a, and not a dialogue and not an acting and not even a directing thing. I think it's a, I think that my problem with it honestly is a script bones, Ooh, script bones, yeah. um, is a, is a bones of the script problem. Yeah. And that is everything feels convenience convenient to me. Mm -hmm. e everything that's a problem feels incredibly convenient and is solved within 10 minutes or five minutes, except the main thing, which I think the movie wants us to focus on, which is the emotional journey between Will and Tom. I so I won't disagree that there is a lot of nice people in this movie. Yeah, but, well you but, can't. <laughs> but I but that's kind of what I responded to as well, is that everyone felt authentic and nice and empathetic and 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 the film also felt nice and empathetic towards what the central conflict of this film was, which is that these two people need to part ways. And that's yes. what the hit of the film is. Now I I didn't find the sort of conflation of good people trying to help them out to be problematic. I found it kind of uh, pleasant and enjoyable, and I found each of those characters completely realistic and and true to the scenario. Like I felt that the like what I liked about it was that I felt that that was a real trailer park, and those were real people in mm -hmm. there, and that's how they would respond to someone like that. So I think that again, I think it's uh, individually you take situations and yes, I think that that is a place that could exist. But then exponentially, as you add in these people and these characters and the way that they are the perfect balm for whatever is going on and be just super altruistic, it gets less and less likely and it breaks the story down for me. Have uh, you ever been in an accident? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've So I've been in an accident, right? Mm -hmm. Like where you're uh, in a car accident. Yeah, so I've been in a car accident yeah. when I was a little kid where uh, uh, a van we were in flipped over and in, into into a ravine. And I, I was a little kid. I was in the back with no seatbelt on. Um, and I woke up basically like w the van was upside down and was smashed. Uh, and we, my brother dragged me out of the van and we came across, like we were quite far down, but someone saw us and picked us up and took us to a hospital. The hospital workers all helped us out. Um, they found our parents, you know, they, they called my parents. This was in Fiji. Mm -hmm. They called my parents. They got us home. Everyone looked after us. I guess, and what, so what I'm saying is, it doesn't seem implausible to me that there are good people. And, no. and, 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 and one thing I guess is, there are more good people than bad people. Like, sure, what but there's not What would you expect? the inverse of any of these situations. Sure, today. okay, you're talking about accidents and things that you've been into. I'll tell you mine and I can sort of It's not a pissing contest, by no, the way. No, it's not a pissing contest, but like it sounds like you had a bunch of like really nice awesome people around you in a sp in a in a specifically horrible situation and that's that's great. Yeah. In my two or three life um, threatening situations that I've been in in my life, I have not had that. I was in one car accident uh, where I was T-boned. Um, I was a passenger in a car, and uh, my my back and neck were sort of messed up a little bit from it. And they took me into the hospital. They took me a to the wrong hospital, uh, and then in the in the actual ambulance, uh, they the dude was literally just fucking with me. 
um, like like literally like shining the light like you know you had to do the like the the light thing or whatever and I did the answer to all the stuff and then he kept like like laughing and shining the light in my eyes and I was like what are you doing he's like oh just make it sure just make it sure ha 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 and I'm like okay dude and then uh, in the in the doctor's office, they literally didn't have me strapped. Oh, no, sorry. They found out that I wasn't strapped to, like, the right board and, like, possibly that, like, my back. Basically, the EMT that came and got me was kind of negligent and uh, not great at his job or didn't care specifically about that moment. I've had other situations where when my lung collapsed when I was 18, they injected me uh, with morphine and then rather than wait to see if I had any reaction left and the morphine literally almost killed me if my mother didn't go screaming out of the room to tell them that I was about to die because guess what? I'm allergic to morphine. So again, there's lots of helpful people in my situations that I'm talking about that I feel that uh, people do want to help. Overall, I 100% agree that people as a whole are good, but not everyone is not only super altruistic, perfectly trained and never makes a mistake, and the exact right person for the job at any given particular moment. And this movie, other than the dynamic of Will and Tom, Every other character is basically written to be the perfect solution for a situation to hopefully drive us toward seeing that Will still can't do it, even in this perfect situation. Again, I want to go back to the thing that you said about uh, what if he wasn't white? Yeah, This whole thing would not – this wouldn't be what this is. Could you imagine – uh, Will's character, like, you know, not even, I don't want to say like if Will was black because he would have been black his entire life, but like, could you imagine Will trying to instantly deal with that sort of thing? Like out, even outside of all of his own stuff, like all of his stuff, because everything he's surrounded with is entirely helpful. Uh, it seems, even though it is in his head and it's a hundred percent real to him as a character seems minuscule to the actual world around him. Right. Uh, again, I I'm 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 I don't want to discourage people from seeing this movie. In fact, I would love it if you wrote in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and tried to again talk me through some again, of this there's too. A, there's that thing is I don't want to convince you about whether you like the film or not. Well, I right? mean, oh sorry. I get that. You know, and and I think by the way, it sounds like you 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 have a uh, you have a legitimate concern about medical malpractice more than anything. Well, we were just using the thing of accident. So, but, but, but any situation but, but, in like, my life. Because I guess my thing is, uh, I feel like, and maybe this is just a different worldview, uh, is that nine times out of 10, people are willing to help. And nine times out of 10, people are good. Like that's that's my worldview on the world. But three times out of ten, that person is the correct person to actually be helping you at any given time. Well, it's, three, that, nine, I guess what I'm saying there is nine times out of ten, people are helpful. People want to be helpful or try to act in a helpful manner. I'm saying everything felt too perfect. That my whole thing going back examples I do, aside. I, I understand what you're saying is yeah. that there's a conflation of good people in this movie. Not only good people, perfect people. So. I, I don't I, skills I guess, skills that they need uh, I, tasks that they need done. I guess look, uh, the trucker seems like a trucker. Like they would be at a truck. I don't, I don't see how that is like that person has a perfect and again, skill. He's a trucker. We're going in circles. It's the it's the culmination of I, everything. I, I, being I understand perfect. what you're saying. The the medic seems like the. It's not the first solution. It's like the the solution to the issue at hand, and someone who happens to understand that issue seems reasonable to me but was called by a person who as uh, to you that you even said like understands their situation entirely because she takes care of her survivalists in the woods and they happen to come across this one trailer park that has this sort of group of people that has these group of like it's all very again it's convenience is not necessarily a bad thing yeah. it's something that took me away from the story right if 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 these are things, and I'm, I'm sure I am in the minority of 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 a someone who this these aspects of this film bothered them, it it would be amazing. It's why I came in and even saying like I I want to not so I want I want to see the light. I want to see this movie again because I walked out and I felt. Right. I felt like unconnected to it. I'm like, everything here was something I should have connected to, and then I racked my brain as to why. So I was not connected with it. The the thing that I kind of want to come to here is the is the the real hit of what this film is, which sure. is these two people need to go in separate directions. Yes, they're not compatible anymore. Um, she can no longer live with him because she has different needs than he does. And mm -hmm. and I think the thing that is heartbreaking about him is he recognizes this, 
but can't he he can't stay at this place. Like he can't stay at the trailer park, even though she's paid for it. Mm-hmm. He can't stay at this house, which is an ideal situation for them. Uh, he just can't be in those situations. He has some kind of psychological problem, which mm-hmm. prevents him from doing that. And he recognizes it and she recognizes it. And I think like, again, I'm not going to try and convince you whether the mm. connect on the film or not, but that's the thing that, that drew me in is that these two characters understand each other and there's like a, a well of understanding between them where they need to move on. And that final scene I think is really beautiful. The, there's one scene that really, the one that kind of made me um, well up a little bit. Um, and it's not, this is, I think this is more a personal response, but I'm going to, I'm going to borrow a quote from uh, Ryan Johnson this week. who was talking about Ooh. his favorite film critics. And uh, he was talking about how, uh, his favorite film criticism is about the is about the critic themselves. It's really about their personal reaction yeah. to films, you know. Well, that's what and, it all is. Yeah, and uh, he taught. And, and so there's a scene, the scene where she um, introduces him to the Beehive, mm. and she she you know. So there's a we get the initial scene with Dale Dickey where she uh, where Dale Dickey introduces her to the Beehive and says you know like bees don't want to sting you, which I you know again metaphorically could be. Uh, apt to this film she's like you know the bees just kind of want to poke their nose around and see who you are they don't want to sting you because they'll die if they do um and you know she's wearing the full suit and everything and and you know and dale dickey's character isn't the next scene we see her basically introduce will to the bees and there's this moment of i i call it parental recognition and i have seen it and and it's a it's a special thing that that I thought about in that scene, which is when you recognize that your kids are, are capable of more than you. Right. And, and, and she look, you know, she, Will is looking at her daughter who's bravely just holding these bees and realizing, you know, this is an entire experience that he didn't teach her. It's an entire experience that he had nothing to do with. And she is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And there's that, you know, for me, that was that moment where I was like, when I've seen my son do something, I'm like, He's he is capable of more than I can give him, and that was the one moment in the entire film where I saw a change in him. Yeah, um, that's the moment when I know that they like both sort of like walk away. Like he's like, no, we got to leave, and so they like, kind of like pack up anyway. But like I think that that was the seed of the change that allowed him to actually eventually leave without her. Yeah, I think um, because if that scene didn't happen, or we didn't see something like that. It wouldn't have felt believable to me for him to have let her stay. Yeah, and it happens so gently as well. It happens, you know, like it's not a, it's not a big scene. It's just, it, it almost feels like a sort of um, B roll kind of scene, you know? like <laughs> B roll. Yeah, you know, kind kind of thing. And then, and, and the film, the thing I think I love is the, is the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> You bees. didn't get it. I, had to bring I, didn't, it back. I didn't get it the first time. I was thinking about B roll as an editing thing. But, nope. Uh, um, like the film is kind of filled with moments like that. Like when she uh, meets the guy who's training rabbits, you know, and and you know, like she immediately captures this rabbit and he takes it back to the cage and then has to train. You know, they they train. It's this sort of like lovely moment where she realizes there's this other world of people doing other things and he's talking about building this tiny house, which is this like. <laughs> You know, this idea of permanence, which is something that she doesn't have, you know, like they're on the move. Mm-hmm. And so it's like building up in her. And she, you know, we see it as well, like um, when there, there's an interesting thing. And again, I want to connect it to where we are in America right now. Oh, no. Uh, but, you know, the the child separation is a major issue mm-hmm. and it, it, it should be a major issue. And, it, and it's heartbreaking and it's difficult. And the thing that's difficult for me to comprehend is how how much you realize your kid needs you no matter what. And like hearing stories of one-year-olds being separated from their parents and three-year-olds. And this is a and in this film there's a 13-year-old who can't be separated from her from her dad. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the separating her from her dad would be a traumatic experience. And she says it. She goes, I just I, I don't want to be apart from my dad. Yeah. You know, my dad's gonna come get me. That's all she can think about. And it's the the course of the film, like, you know, seeing the rabbits, doing the bees, you know, like being on her own in the uh, in the cabin, you know, waiting. These are all moments where she learns that she needs to move away from him. She also learns that he's fallible, both when she almost freezes to death and when he hurts himself. Yeah. So, you know, all of those things are kind of leading to that separation. Um, and But it's, I guess the heartbreaking part is like realizing even though she's grown, capable, you know, probably just as good a survivalist as him, the thought of being separated from her dad is trauma. 
And, uh, and, you know, so I guess, you know, they're thinking about child separation right now, you know, in, in the context of where we are of, of like, can you imagine a, a one-year-old being separated from their parent? I'm, so, I'm sorry if we're talking about that, but it's, well, it's, no, it's just on it, the back of my mind and because it, and of the kinda, empathy thing. It kind of ties back into my unbelievableness of, uh, you know, people always being, you know, not always being, but a lot of people being good. I do think a lot of people are good, but at the same time, to get a one-year-old in a courtroom by themselves, there needs to be a lot of bad people around. And like... It, it doesn't feel believable, especially maybe in this climate. Maybe I'm being poisoned a little bit by the climate too, but it, it just, it, it. And I guess, I guess that was my point about bringing up Dave Eager's article at the beginning, mm. which was the idea that the arts allows us to have empathy and a lack of the arts makes us cruel and myopic. And, and here and, we are. And, and <laughs> I, guess, I guess my point is here, the reason why the gentleness of this film worked for me is that I feel like if people watched this film, they would gain a sense of empathy for people that they don't necessarily understand. I think film definitely has that ability. I don't know if, and again, I hope that is true for this film. For yeah. me, it was that was not true. Right. Uh, I, there's many films that that's half the reason. That's yeah. more than half the reason that I want to go to the movies because I like empathizing with characters that I don't fully understand. Yeah. Uh, this film, despite all of its very large pros, and again, if we're getting into final thoughts, like you should see this film, 100% see it before it leaves the theaters. It was a nice experience seeing it actually in a movie theater. I had a respectful audience. Uh, you know, everyone was sort of uh, you know quiet at the right moments and. And it's the kind of film that you're not going to get a lot of chuckleheads in. So, like, it was it was yeah. it was a good experience overall. I just um, I I can't I I can't say I connected with it, and I think it's because of all the reasons that I said. Some of the conveniences I thought I, I perceived, um, and also the fact that um, I I tend to empathize more with characters that. To, to, I, I don't need backstory. Backstory is the wrong word, but I need to know that they're more than a than than a perceived very well acted trope right and and that's what i got from the will character um and i don't know what the extra like the x factor is i can't place it because there's so much done right in this film it's almost like it's almost like an entirely wonderful machine was built and for me like the i just don't have the key to turn it on right. and and it didn't give it to me or i can't find it or or something um but that's not to say that you dear listeners uh, don't have the key within your heart or whatever you want to do it to like go. I mean, Shahir, you obviously did. You were affected by it and it was positive for you. And I'm really actually very happy that that's the case. Um, but I do think overall, uh, final thought, go see the movie. And and uh, I, I I think the majority of you will like it and have the experience that Shahir that you had. Yeah, I I mean, I just, you know, I, like like you said, there is a... Um, I think I think I'm coming at it from a point of view which was I needed an empathetic movie mm -hmm. this week. Like I needed something like this to take my head out of the world for a minute. And I think um the the empathy that I kind of walked away with or the the feeling of empathy that I walked away with was how profound po post traumatic stress, uh, mm -hmm. stress disorder can be and how it can, you know, there is a, there's an entire population of people in America that, you know, are coming back from wars that need support. And, you know, not just, not just, you know, um, uh, not just services, but they need support, you know, like we're, we, we're, we're putting them in terrible situations. Um, so I, I kind of walked away with a sort of, I guess, a deeper understanding of what that is. Um, and, and there's a, just a gentleness to this film that I kind of dug, you know, like there's not a bombacity to it. It's, it's, it's a quiet, you know, like, um, movie where, where emotions rang true without having to be spoken. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I, you know, for me, I just needed that. Um, that's, that's just what I wanted and I got it. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's, if the, the, those are the final words, those yeah. are my final thoughts on that film. Look, uh, this, this has been the only podcast about the film Leave No Trace. Uh, Shahir. I think we've left no trace of, uh, 
of anything else to discuss. <laughs> I think I no, I think we've wrapped it up. When you are not waxing poetic with the name of the film that we just reviewed in our closing statements, where can folks find you? You can find me at my website, www.shahirdaud.com, where you will find no trace of anything of interest. Oh, Matt, come on! Matt, where can people find you when you are... Um, not filing medical malpractice suits against all the people who've been horrible to you in your in your in your life. Only two. I've had someone save me from drowning, so shout out to you. You know who you are. Uh, you can find me breathing lots of air at MatthewKroll.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. You can also see uh, my latest videos uh, with the Extra Credits crew at Extra Credits um, at, on ye old-fashioned YouTubes. Check that out. Just search Extra Credits. We just did a fantastic uh, The Flu Pandemic episodes dropped. Uh, I believe by the time this one goes, Number two will be out, and shit starts getting real. Um, and yeah, oh, we just did something on random number generation and and how much randomness in games can affect your actual positivity and uh, and enjoyment of a particular experience. And to find out the math about that is terrifying, uh, but it's cool. So check all that stuff out. Uh, and yeah, I guess um, next week maybe we'll do. Sorry to bother you. Maybe yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do be- something else. Yeah, actually, I'm trying to think what next week is. But either way, no more requests, people. <laughs> no more. We are just doing what we want to do. We're that not w- listening to anybody. Well, we're going to listen to the ones that Unless you want to email us in, and you know, you can email us in. Yeah, at onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com. But no, no, we are getting to them. But we're not going to listen to your emails. But, but no, 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 we'll listen to the emails. We're just not taking new requests other than the three to four specials oh, no, we've we'll just listen agreed to. Them. to. We just won't read them. We're, no, we won't read them. No, we'll, 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 listen, we'll to listen to them. We'll, we'll, go, we'll put hey, it into text-to-speech. Read this, and it'll be you now. Dear Matt and Shahir, you don't know what be Matt and Shahar. Matt and Shahar. Shahar. Well, one day Siri won't be uh, pronunciation. There are challenged. dozens of us, literally. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye bye.